Insight team, welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. Anthony has actually been on the show before, uh, as we discussed back in 2017, so it's been a hot minute, if you can uh, call it that. Uh, but Dr. Balduzzi is a naturopathic doctor, national champion bodybuilder, and the founder of the Fit Father Project. Uh, and also the Fit Mother Project, which is an online health and fitness community aimed at empowering busy parents to get healthy, lose weight, and build muscle through practical nutrition and exercise plans. So we talk about a good amount in this podcast, but the primary focus is the male body. It's what happens to the male body around late 30s into 40s and 50s. Uh, how do we as men combat some of, or at least be aware of some of the transitions that we're naturally going to go through in those ages in our life. And how do we build muscle? How do we uh, maybe lose weight? How do we uh, lose the belly fat? And what are some of the tools, resources that we can actually implement on a daily basis? And so thankfully, Dr. Balduzzi is actually quite pragmatic uh, and, and practical when it comes to his implementation. And he's got a tremendous amount to back up some of the things that he talks about. So we talk about fasting. Uh, we, we talk about certain exercises that you can do alongside everything that's sort of taking place within the body. So I found this episode to be quite uh, empowering and enlightening in a lot of ways in terms of things that you can do even in your own home. So without any further delay, please welcome Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. All right, my friend, welcome back to the Man Talk Show. How are you doing? Doing awesome. It's, it's funny that it's been a number of years. Like time, time when you look at it, feels so fast and so slow at the same time. Like a lot's happened, but that also is kind of a blink. Absolutely, absolutely. For those of you who have been with me for a number of years, the last time that Dr. Anthony Balduzzi was on the show was back in September 18th of 2017. It really made me think. I was like, damn, I've been doing the podcast for that long. I've been putting yeah. out episodes every single week for that long. I was like, holy crap. And the, sh and the show has grown tremendously over the years, which is really cool. So anyway, well, welcome back, man. How have, how have you been? You know, usually I start off with tell us a story about a defining moment. I think we did that last time. Mm -hmm. So maybe just tell us, tell me, tell the viewers, the listeners, what you have been up to in the last year and, and maybe how how things have gone for you since the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for those who haven't heard the quick episode, the the, the skinny of, of what I do is work is that I run a company called the Fit Father Project, which is a online health and fitness community dedicated to helping busy dads and particularly guys in their 40s, 50s, and 60s lose weight, build muscle, get healthy for themselves. And the reason I started that company is because growing up, I watched my own dad, you know, work himself to the bone, get sick, and he passed away when he was just 42. I was nine, my little brother was six, and it rocked our world, but it also kind of catapulted me on this path of wanting to understand the human body, um, but also wanting to become strong and gain muscle because in my young, my, in my young mind, you know, I wanted to become so strong that cancer wouldn't get me, so I started lifting weights and training. And little did I know at the time that the seeds of that experience would snowball into this massive passion for men's health and particularly helping busy dads, you know, who I saw like my dad in that position. So last few years have been amazing. I know it sounds like a weird answer because it, there's been a lot of turmoil and change in, on, on so many levels. 
at least as it relates to business in our community, we got the opportunity to step up for a lot of people over the last few years as people were no longer going to gyms. They had to be at home rearranging routines. Like our community, we'd been building it for about eight years. We were in a really prime position and we had enough, you know, content, years of content like you, Connor, to, to be able to be there and support people. So it was good from a business front, you know? My passion ultimately is helping people ride the ebbs and flows of love life and the modern pressure and how to create a health routine that's sustainable through all that. So it was a great opportunity to serve. And at present, you know, I'm actually not 40 myself quite yet, working my way up there, and I'm about to have my first kid. So wife is pregnant, baby's due in March, and so I'm officially becoming a fit father. So a lot of beautiful things. I think that's a pretty fair synopsis. Business work, doing some physical healing on my body as well from some old injuries, and welcoming baby girl coming soon. Beautiful, man. Well, I appreciate the the recap, and congrats on stepping into dad life. You know, I think we Thanks. talked about that a little bit offline before, and I mean, what a journey that is. You know, my son is 10 months old now, and such a joy, you know, such a joy. He's at the stage where he's like opening covers and pulling shit out and throwing things and like, you know, eggs go everywhere. And it's, it's a wild, wild ride. But yeah, so I wanted to have you on the show today because I think over the, over the course of the pandemic, I've heard a lot of people talk about like the COVID-15, right? You know, like putting on weight, not being able to really maintain a sense of of working out, of your your routines, your rituals within, you know, the gyms being closed and whatnot. And so I wanted to talk, I was I was gonna say I want to talk about dad bods, but I think what I really want to talk about is the male body, how we build muscle, you know, how we can sort of keep weight off, what are some of the the strategies. So why don't we just start with a little bit of understanding of what are some of the challenges that you have seen men face when they start to enter into the 40s and into the 50s with regards to their physical health. Hmm. Yeah. All right, we'll start with what happens to the body at that time stamp in in that stamp in time and then I also would love to comment on, you know, the unique pressures of the changing of our work situation at home life covid kind of stuff. Hmm. As it relates to when we're in our 40s, 50s, and 60s, I really, the hormonal changes actually start to happen in, in our beginning in our 30s, where testosterone levels are starting to decline. We've all heard this story before, and it's a slow, gradual decline. But with that decline, we see a decrease in libido, often coinciding with an increase in stress from our work. And, and as that begins to continue to compound, oftentimes people get less active. So you're starting to lose some of that muscle mass that supported your metabolism when you were younger, and your metabolism naturally slows down as you age. So the combinations of more stress, lower hormonal environment, losing some muscle mass, oftentimes having more inactivity, um, and, and the immune system is just the truth of the body, unless tended to with the right stuff we're going to talk about in terms of strategies, does kind of get weaker with age as well. It's a process called senescence. That's why cancer rates rise as you get into your 60s and 70s. The immune cells get old and tired. And the cool thing is we now know there's some things like fasting that can actually completely rejuvenate and, and stimulate the immune system. But if, if we do not none of this tending... The gradual process is that we end up gaining weight. We have worse cardiovascular fitness in our 40s and 50s. I mean, just look around. The obesity rate, like over 40 and 50, is nearly 50%. Yeah. And this is also paired with cardiovascular disease. When we're eating too much food with too little activity, all this blood sugar is floating around. Our body's cranking out insulin to kind of deal with that. We become insulin-resistant pre-diabetic. These... These, uh, these, these sugars and, and the more pressure in this cardiovascular pump system as this is happening in the body is not just affecting what we can see as the body, the limbs, and the appendages, but also the brain. 
the brain is a subject to the kind of inflammation that that is oftentimes created. We see a massive increase in memory and cognitive decline these days. You know, we're seeing it in our parents or if our parents' parents, like this is tend to happen. And we're knowing that this is related to insulin resistance in the brain, metabolism of all of the different kinds of nutrients we're eating and stress and blue light and lack of sleep. It's just like today in today's day and age, it is so easy to be unhealthy in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, unless you have a plan and a strategy and systems in place in your life, because the ebbs and flows of the current of everything is pushing people in a particular direction. And that's why half of us are deeply struggling with it. Another half have maybe gotten out of it or has somehow had maintained habits from their from their earlier years that have, they've sustained on. So this is why it's just so important to begin to unravel this puzzle. And it's a deep conversation to really think about because where do you even start, right? There's a, we know there's a couple of things we need to do to tend the body. We need to eat the right kinds of foods. And that's not just a knowledge thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a habits thing. We need to move our bodies in a way that feels good because a lot of us, 40s, 50s, 60s, you accumulate some old injuries from sports. Things don't feel as lubricated and supple as they used to. So you need to have the ability to adapt a movement plan that fits and respects that. And actually, you know, strength training we know is truly one of the fountains of youth. It turns on all these anti-aging genes, these sirtuin enzymes and proteins, these SIRT one, two, three, four, all the, all the genes associated with longevity, strength training turns that on. So for almost all guys, I think strength training is more important in your forties, fifties than it is in your, even in your twenties, just from a activating this, this deep genetic power we have to, to revitalize the body. And then we're looking at as well as just the fact that we need to be able to have a plan that's sustainable and that fits into our family's lives and that runs with the ebbs and flows of the seasons of our lives. You know, this, the stuff we do in the, in the beginning of the year is oftentimes different than we might be doing in the summer based on the flow of our kids, where, where our travel or work schedules are like. So that's now the art of sustainability. And, and these are, this is the landscape we can begin to look at, but I'll pause here, Connor, because I imagine there's a place you might want to steer this conversation. But I think that sets the stage for why it's particularly important for men over 40 and 50 to look at these areas. Yeah, man. Well, I think, um, I mean, you did a good job of covering a lot of ground there, which I appreciate because I think it gives a good understanding of not only what's happening physically within our bodies as we start to age, but some of the external factors that we're also facing, like it's sort of an onslaught. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. when I talk to guys about this, they are often feeling overwhelmed. You know, they're like, I'm trying to change this habit. I'm trying not to eat so late before bed. I'm yeah. trying to implement, you know, new routines in the morning of getting up and drinking water and working yeah. out. And I'm trying not to, you know, look at my screen so late. I feel like what we, what we have to do to stay, to stay or be healthy this sort of task list has lengthened, you know, yeah. now that we've added in social media. So I just, I appreciate that you recognize those pieces. Before we move into sort of solution plans, you know, compound movement, strength training, that kind of stuff, I do want to circle back around on what you mentioned before, which is the impact that the pandemic and that being at home has maybe had on men and our ability. I know you kind of touched on it there, but I wanted to just give you a chance to say anything else about that because I think that that might be important. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a couple angles there that will kind of add this piece to the what we've been building so far. One is I think a lot of people realize the simple fact that your habits and your routines that are location dependent as it relates to your fitness, let's just say to get fit, your habit is you must be in XYZ location. That ends up being something that was, is fragile. Hmm. Like when you no longer have access to the gym and you were a very consistent gym person and now you're home, 
And now that whole routine completely got disrupted because it's environmentally and location-based. Like you got all that momentum is gone. It must be recreated anew with a new system. So I think one thing that is a tool in most guys' toolbox in today's day and age, it's important to get a get some at-home workout like go-tos that you can do at home, effectively making you location independent because you can do the same kinds of exercise if you're traveling in a hotel or even if you just have some space outside. But like one of the things we do with our fit fathers is we give them these dumbbell and kettlebell workouts they can do with five feet of floor space. So I think that's a variable in the pandemic that derailed a lot of people. And then there's just the other fact of our mood, which is a huge factor in our adherence to our, our health rituals, because it influences the kind of foods we're drawn to eat, um, how motivated we feel to exercise, and in, in just our overall well-being. It's good to do well and when you're feeling well. And oftentimes we get in this opposite kind of energetic rut where we're kind of stuck in the what feels like the same shit different day, or there's there's uncertainty and stress. This is in, inherently this emotional environment of our being translates to a little bit of slips and inconsistencies and cracks in these other areas that we were more regimented with. Maybe you just start staying up a little later because you know, you're at home, you're working, right? You're, you can have a little time to Netflix. It's okay if you sleep in a little more for tomorrow's day. It's like, we've all kind of had this experience, but you start to do that. And then that becomes momentum and energy unto itself. And then that can start to snowball into, you know, well, you stayed up late. Now you need a little more coffee in, in the morning. And now you're a little more tired in the afternoon and, and our routines can kind of degradate. So I think the important thing to understand is that when it comes to health and fitness, we can talk about solutions, but ultimately we're managing momentum. We're managing the energy and momentum, which I'm going to call this energy and momentum is the culmination of, of our choices that we're doing on a daily basis, our ability to redirect our focus on what, what matters to us. It's feeling we have moving forward. We're managing that. And if we understand that this is the game we're actually playing, then we know that we're doing this over the span of the next 20, 30, 40 years. And we're gonna develop a system that helps that momentum move forward, that doesn't have some of the fragilities of location dependence, that uh, it just works for us. And yeah, I mean, I, that can sound a little philosophical, esoteric, but it, I think it's an important perspective that all these solutions we may talk about hangs on. Yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like you're saying that part of what we as men can do to set ourselves up for success is to be conscious of building a plan that suits our lifestyle, right? Because like location independence is very important these days where maybe a lot of people are still moving around or the world's going to start opening up again, or maybe not, you know, <laughs> and you're kind of stuck at home and you're having to work out at home. So is that, is that part of what you're saying is that your, your routines, your habits, your workout patterns and behaviors need to also suit the lifestyle that you're fitting into? Yeah, that's, well, that's ultimately the what of it. Yes. Like ultimately, yes, you need that structure that fits the flow of what's exactly happening in your life right now. But the more, the more philosophical perspective behind that is every given day, we, were, we wake up with a fresh new day, which means we have ability to make choices around the foods we put in our body, how much water we drink, how we move. The choices that we make today is creating energy and momentum for more good future choices in one direction, or they could be backsliding us. So we're ultimately in this dance trying to keep channeling momentum in the in the positive direction. That's how you stay healthy over the long haul. It's not like you're going to per eat perfectly healthy for every day for the rest of your life, but you are going to make a cluster of decisions in a particular direction. And I think what the pandemic maybe showed so many, some people is that there's some environmental changes that could happen unexpectedly that can make it so you're clustering decisions in a direction that's not moving you 
forward. Where does the COVID-15 come from? Well, it comes from the energy that's backsliding over the course of a couple of days, weeks, months, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's awesome. I, I love that. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, you know, I immediately made a decision when we moved into the place that we're staying right now while our home is being built to, I bought, bought an assault bike, which, yeah. <laughs> which was an interesting life choice for, for the body. It's a, it's an amazing tool, but it's also, you know, it's a real crusher and then bought a, an actual like cardio bike. Right. So my wife loves Peloton. So I bought her, bought her and I a Peloton and really focusing on cardio, which I hadn't really done before. And so that's been wonderful. And then, you know, made sure that I got a kettlebell and whatnot and just started to do some basic workouts around the home. But it really has inspired me to actually build out a bit of a gym within yeah. my home, which has been really phenomenal. So, okay, let's let's talk about, maybe let's talk about like muscle building, strength training, and then we can kind of move into fasting and 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 weight loss and specifically like around the belly, which I feel like is a is like the bane of most men's existence. So where do we begin? What are some of the foundational pieces that we need to know about strength training, about muscle building for men that are starting to round the corner to, you know, 35, 40, 50 years old? Yeah. When we're when we're strength training, effectively here's the process. Or when we're trying we're trying to build muscle, we're giving the body a stimulus through training that's going to, the stimulus is going to increase muscle protein synthesis. The stimulus is lifting. And then we need adequate time to recover with proper fuel so that the body has the literal building blocks in terms of amino acids, as well as time to rest the nervous system. And all the things that are impacting recovery, this aspect, stimulus recovery, recovery is affected by how much you're sleeping, how stressful for your work is, all these other factors. And we do these things together constantly stimulus recover stimulus recover using some of the principles of strength training i'm sure we'll, we'll get into you you can build muscle the problem is as you get older your capacity to recover goes down inherently it does i mean i think a lot of guys can understand the feeling of maybe when they're in their teens or their 20s where you feel like you could stay up drink get up the next day and still do some stuff whereas you find when you're in your 30s that starts to destroy you a little more and when you're in your 40s you're like holy crap i'm so sore after just like doing yard work so this is this is important to understand because the kinds of strength training that I think becomes better for people as they get a little older is this type of functional full body strength training, full body or like upper lower, but you're doing a lot of muscle groups per session and doing compound movements and maybe doing only needing strength training pulses for muscle building three, four times a week. And I want to preface this too by saying that there's not one way to do this. There's not one way to do this. There are guys who are incredibly jacked in their 60s that would listen to this and say, I lift every single day and this is what works best for me. Mm. Point is, get it in, get it done. There's many ways. I think some of the science is saying is that a very optimal way that's very efficient is to do things like full body strength training three times per week where you're hitting every muscle group with less overall volume in any given workout spread out throughout the week. So back in the day, there's a lot of guys that maybe did like chest, chest, shoulders, tries, push workouts or something like this, where you may be doing 15, 20 sets of chest. You know, you do a couple sets on the, on the flat, then the incline, you do some flies and you do your pushups and your dips. And by the end of that, you've accumulated maybe 20 sets of volume. What often works better for people as we get older is that, that excess of volume in one given session creates more recovery inroad without giving you too much benefit in terms of stimulation. So what you can do is spread that volume out a little more evenly throughout the week. You can be doing maybe like seven sets of chest on Monday, 
seven on Wednesday, seven on Friday. You're giving stimulation to these particular muscle groups without doing so much excess set, set work that it's going to create an inroad to your recovery. Also respecting the fact that you're getting older and it takes a little more time to recover. Mm. So this is something that often works and it also creates a nice hormonal environment in the body. Like what a workout may look like is, you know, this is a, one of the classic training splits, but not the only one that we use with a lot of guys over 40 who are looking to start to build muscle. We put them on like a literal classic three day a week, full body strength training, which believe it or not, is what a lot of the old school bodybuilders like Arnold Schwarzenegger started his career on full body, heavy, full lifts. And, and these are things like starting off with a, with a main leg motion. It could be some kind of barbell squat, could be a leg press, but ideally it could be something with dumbbells, but you know, you're going fairly heavy, a number of sets there. You may move into uh, you're going to want to work all the main. This is another important point that I think will make this help this make a little more sense. You want to pick a motion in either all the main body parts or all the main planes of motion that you need to stay strong at. Because when you get older, your ability to push things away from your body, to pull things in this in this uh, horizontal plane, in the vertical plane, as well as hinging at the hip and squatting, this is the quality of your life. This mm -hmm. is what we need to maintain. These are the functional movement patterns that the human body can do. Let's train these under load. And it also happens to evolve all the major muscle groups. So a workout could look like something like a squat. We can move into one hip hinging motion. It could be maybe a lighter stiff-legged deadlift with dumbbells or barbells, strengthen the posterior chain, those glutes. We're going to do something in the vertical pressing. So maybe we do have some kind of overhead shoulder press. Then we're going to pair that with a vertical pulling, something like pull-ups, and then we'll maybe have a, a chest and a back exercise and possibly something for arms. Without getting too, too specific, because we could get even more granular, I think the main thing is strength training doesn't need to be done that many times a week to give you good results when you're in your 40s, 50s, et cetera. You can get away with two times pulsing per week of these full body strength training workouts. Three will work really well if you're looking to build muscle and, and optimize recovery at the same time. Uh, but it, it's possible. I think the margin for error goes down though. You need to be a little more dialed in with your sleep and your recovery with eating the right kinds of foods, but it's definitely possible. We've had guys work up to over 300 pound benches in their fifties and sixties, you know, mm -hmm. so right training can work. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the breakdown and, you know, I, it's interesting. Do you, as you were talking, I have a few questions that sort of came up. One, do you think that, or is there a data or research to show that different body types recover differently or is it like is there a spectrum because i know for myself even in my 20s maybe it was just the type of like workouts that i was doing there were times where i'd work out to you know i would do like a chest workout and for like days afterwards i'd barely you know be able to like wash my hair mm -hmm. and even today i mean you know like when we were in california over the holidays i went and worked out and went to the gym and you know was like doing bench press and doing chest and it took probably like four or five days yeah. for, for my body, like really for my chest, for me to be able to like open my arms out wide without feeling that like strain in the, in the chest. So I'm curious as you know, to whether or not are there different body types that recover differently, or is that just a matter what you're doing to the body or are there things that we can do to help that recovery? I know I'm just sort of like loading on yeah. a ton of questions no, there, good. but I think you got it. Yeah, I totally got it. The answer is yes. I, I can't point to the exact research, but there is so much genetic and body difference in recovery. Like, look, look at the guys who are the, the world's strongest men competitors. There were 13 pound babies with thick ass tendons. Like there's six foot seven, 400 pounds. Like their body is, it responds to load differently than, than yours does. 
yeah. and then mine does. And we all have a unique predisposition. And I think this also has to do with things like our, our muscle fiber makeup. Like some people have more fast twitch fibers than other people have more slow twitch fibers and every muscle has a different proportion of that. That's why some people are really great sprinters. Other people have good propensity for distance. People have different levels of tendon strength. You know, there's people that are always getting some kind of tendonitis and there's another person that's never had any kind of tendon injury in their entire life. So there's a phenomenal genetic capacity to this. And we're all kind of unique in that respect. The types of workouts you do are going to play a huge role in, in the kind of the deep level of soreness. So for example, with you having gone so heavy, per, I don't know what, what your exact chest workout was, but you know, when we, when we lift heavier weights, we're activating not just the muscles, but the muscles are being activated through the nervous system. The nervous system has to be tremendously engaged to put all this neural input to cause every fiber of your chest to contract under a heavy bench press. That's creating deeper inroad into your recovery than something like doing three sets of 30 on like a chest fly and we're just like pumping it up with light weight. So the training type you do does it. And this is why really good training programs are looking at not just like muscular fatigue load, but the neurological load of, of a particular workout. And you space those out. You're not always doing days that are as heavy and neurologically taxing as other days. So for example, with the three day per week training split, one of the things we do is we have a light, heavy, and a moderate day. So we kind of build this in. So there's a heavy day necessarily on Monday or whenever, whenever the first day of the week you want to call it, it doesn't exactly matter, but a heavy neurologically taxing day that likely is going to create more inroad and soreness. And then we're going to have a lighter day on the fall on the Wednesday that you train next. And this example is the lighter weights give you the ability to get more reps and get some blood flow. It actually can clear up some of the soreness too. You know, there, there's some good research that with leg soreness in particular, doing low intensity cardio days afterwards, it's just, it's moving metabolic buildup. It's getting blood flow moving through there, but it's not so, so intense that it's really taxing the muscles ability to truly recover. And then later in the week, you might do a moderate day. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, all those all those things are 100% factors. And we're here to learn our own bodies. I think that's mm. something you need to learn too, as you get older is, you know, you're not back in the day where you're playing sports and like, this is the football workout and everyone does the football workout. Now it's like, you're your own boss of your body. And ultimately, need to find out what works for you, which is a mix of the stuff that's effective and the stuff that you love right? Because like your assault bike, I know there's probably part of you that loves it because you love being challenged, but there's also part of you that knows it's really not enjoyable relative to some other exercises that you probably enjoy, but you put it in at a certain kind of dose frequency because, you know, there's a certain point where you want to be doing hard things too and putting those into your week. So hmm. this is, now we're talking a little more about the art of how to design like a workout plan. It needs elements of these really high intensity, strong, heavy, or hard stuff, which we do need spikes or the, the male body needs spikes of intensity hmm. sprinkled throughout the week. If I had to give you a frequency, I'd say two times is a really good thing to shoot for, for like most average guys. And then ideally you want to have some kind of daily movement every day for the health perspective. We've basically found out that prolonged sitting, not getting outside and just to feel like accumulating walking a movement is like literally as important as anything else you could do with your exercise. In fact, they'd have some prolonged sitting studies showing that people have higher cardiovascular risk, even if they exercise five, six times a week with prolonged sitting, our bodies are built, built to move. And there's many reasons why that's the case. But like, if you look at the longest living people in the world, these centenarians, these pockets of longevity, people are living to hundred, 110, they're not doing P90X. You know, they're, they're walking every day and they're like gardening, right? They're outside moving. So for longevity and health, walking, is, is huge too. Pulsing high intensity exercise, always listening to your internal conscience and your ability to recover. If you need an extra day 
of recovery, you take it. And that's not to say you might not do some lighter cardio or go for a walk or do some breath work or do whatever. But like, if you feel like you need more recovery, it's always a good idea to take that extra day of recovery as you get older. That's, that's being kind and gentle to your body. And over the long run, it will give you better results. And by all of this, this to be wrapped up in this final statement, and we'll pause here, is that to, to accomplish all this, your nutrition needs to be good. Because as you're doing these off days, you're not necessarily training as intensely. You have busy work and family life. You're getting the high intensity exercises in. But let's be honest, as you get older, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet and poor nutrition. So it ultimately comes down to this rhythm of your nutrition that is like the Lego block below all these pulses and all the, the movement and the exercise. Awesome. So stand up more, walk around more, get outside more, all useful things, helpful things to to just sort of like layer into the workout and to not forget the sort of in between. Cause I think we can get, I know for myself in my twenties, it was just all about what I was doing at the gym and yeah. outside of that was somewhat irrelevant. Whereas now I've become much more conscious of wake up in the morning, stretch, do some yoga, do some breath work, maybe some Tai Chi, sprinkle that in throughout the day, you know, yeah. to make sure that I'm like standing up and using my stand up desk when I can and all those different pieces. And so I think it becomes a much more conscious practice of building in health, building in fitness into your daily life. Okay, you're talking, I think this is probably a good segue, you know, you're talking about the nutrition. What are some of the things that you have found that men entering into their 40s, and I, we can tie in fasting at some point here, mm -hmm. but what are some of the things that men entering into their 40s should know about the nutrition and the food that they're putting into their body? What are some of the things that maybe they can start to not avoid or cut out, but just sort of be aware of and then some of the things that they might want to start to add in? Regardless of where people fall in the different diet camp, if people are well-researched in nutrition, people have opinions that are borderline religious in some sense about which, yes. which, which, which nutrition plan is right. But what we can all effectively agree on is the best diet is comprised of like mostly whole non-processed foods, like just like, like real stuff, like fruits, vegetables, you know, meats, you know, non-processed grains. And you know, we can specifically that, I don't even want to go, we, we can go further than that, but that's the first thing. Now, if you accept that, if you accept that premise that the better diet is going to be one that's not full of all the packaged like crap that's, that's making us not, not feel and look great, you need to accept a couple other things that are happening in the body. One is as we get older, our digestive system changes. Like, I think we can maybe, we all experienced what it was like as guys to be, have hormonally driven appetites earlier in life. Like where you can eat a lot more food. And as we get older, you can eat less food. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still guys who have big appetites later in life, but I think it's important to start to be a little bit easier on your digestive tract with your nutrition. And I'll, I'll make that practical in just a second. It's going to have to do with fasting and it'll also be doing using some strategic shakes and liquid meals at times around work can be, be good ways to keep the GI tract healthy. Here's what I think. When I, when I think about nutrition in today's day and age, I'm, I'm thinking about the structure of your day because in many ways, like, Nutrition is a big part of this rhythm of when the waking hours of consciousness, when we get up at 6 a.m. and when time we go to bed, part of the structure of that day is when we have our meals. It's kind of been baked into like since the beginning of time. First thing the baby does when it comes out is it grabs the nipple. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like feeding is the structure of the rhythm of waking life. So when we understand that, the focus ends up being how do you create more habits, rituals, or like go-to things that are consistent every day. And I think particularly the first meal of the day and the wake up for every man is a, is a very important time to zone in on. 
the first thing I'll share there is that the most important thing to do when you wake up is to rehydrate with water. Like we just haven't been drinking water throughout the night. We know water is so important for basically everything that you want in your, in your life. Our cells are made of water. We need water for all this stuff. You drink some high quality water, maybe throw some trace minerals in that, maybe throw a little Himalayan sea salt. Cool. Like get high quality water and drink more than you'd think you'd normally have. I'm talking maybe even up to 32 ounces within the first hour of waking. This is a good, good practice. It also stretches your stomach a little bit, which gives this reflex that actually empty, empties your colon out. We have this thing called the gastrocolic reflex, where when we drink or when we eat and the stomach expands, it actually causes the lower intestine to move, peristolically move food through the intestinal tract. And as we get older, we want a clean intestinal tract. Why do they think they start checking men at 50 for like colonoscopies, right? It's not by accident. It's because after years of buildup of shit in our colons, like there's the possibility of polyps, there's the possibility of cancers. Many of these things are dietarily driven. The premise I want to say here is, is that it's important to keep your digestive tract clean. And one way to do that is fasting. Another way is drinking lots of water first thing in the morning. Um, other ways are taking good supplements like probiotics, magnesium, et cetera. There's many things we can get to there. But I think a, an ideal start to a man's day is good water, some movement outside, maybe a 10, 10 minute, 10, 15 minute walk. If you can get sun on your skin, to be ideal. You breathe through your nose a little bit. And then you know when your first meal of the day is. And this is going to be uniquely right for every individual person. Some people may intermittent fast and have the first meal at noon. Other people may really enjoy having breakfast at 8 a.m. after a morning workout or just because that's how they do it. And that's when their kids eat and that's how the family rolls. It's important to make whatever that anchor is of the first meal of your day conscious and defined. I think that there are meals that you have more variety in. It's later in the day, it's dinner kind of stuff, but there are meals that you be consistent with. And I believe having a consistent go-to meal one of the day, no matter what time that comes for you, is one of the best things you can do. This could be things like eggs, eggs and some veggies. It could be fruit. It could be overnight oatmeal. It could be a shake. It could be whatever you actually legitimately enjoy that does not require too much prep or cognitive effort. You want this to be an automatic, everyday hook that this is something that you generally look forward to that you enjoy and you can be super, super consistent with. The reason this is so important is one, you can get all this great nutrition into your body early in the day. You can stabilize your blood sugar in the morning. You can quell off hunger and have a very productive first part of your day without exerting any little decision fatigue. But it's also important for another reason, because this serves as our anchor every single day. If no matter what happened yesterday, maybe it was a stressful day and you stayed up late and you ate some cake late at night because there was cake in the fridge and it was stressful. The next day, you have an anchor that you can get back to to reestablish forward momentum. Mm. And, and this is why I think this real, go, I'll call it a go-to breakfast or like a standardized meal number one is a hugely important thing. And I'd even venture to guess, Connor, that you probably have something similar. Have you? Mm. Do you have one? Yeah, so I either do intermittent fast, usually three, usually three days a week. I won't eat until noon or, or one. Mm. So I try and do the 16, eight or... My wife and I eat the same thing for breakfast, which is yeah. like a superfood oatmeal. So it'll have like goji berries and maca powder and a little bit of peanut butter and like maybe some bananas on there and whatnot. Sometimes the bananas, but for the most part, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, and of course it we, is. <laughs> we started that about a year and a half ago. And man, I'll tell you, it like radically changed it for me because I used to do 
sporadic meals in the morning. You know, sometimes I'd have like a big breakfast and other times, you know, I'd have something small and it was just never quite the same. And, and sort of standardizing that or regulating that during the week has been, yeah, it's been pretty incredible. Like, oh, let, let, and let's, let's let that sink in because I, I know we're, we're talking about nutrition, but I really think this is actually one of the most profound decisions you can make in your life. There's so much advice that you can get in any given topic on different strategies, but every day of your life, you're going to wake up and you're going to eat something unless you're intentionally fasting for the first meal of the day. So if you can make a powerful and conscious decision to make your first meal standardized, healthy, something you enjoy and something that's good for you, and you, and you echo that effect of that decision over decades of your life, and you're also putting a lot of good, like just that's one, maybe it's one third of your meals that are now healthy and standardized. You're off to a good start, my friend, right? So that's, that's a cool concept. Another thing that I think is important to look at is digestion as we get older. I can't tell you the number of people that we, we talk to who have digestive difficulties, which often coincides with having poor diets, a lot of acid reflux, gas, bloating, digestive issues. You know, when humans are unhealthy, oftentimes the digestive tract is, is, is damaged too in some way, shape or form. And that's not, sometimes the digestive tract issues can be causative of the unhealth and other times they're just very much in a related inflammatory process. It's, it's amazing how the human system is designed. We have the central tube, which is our digestive tract, which is, which is incredible to think about because if we took a piece of floss, Connor, and I had you swallow this floss with a string and it went all the way down, we could floss you on both ends through your mouth and through your butt, right? Yeah. But like, that's profound. That's a long way. That's a long way though. That's a lot of, that's a lot of track. A lot of track. But the point being is it is, an, it is, it is a tube hmm. and the tube's job is to break down the food that comes through here, absorb the food that comes here, and serve as a barrier between what is considered by your body in many senses to be the outside world, the continuation of this tube, and the dissolving through, which now enters the bloodstream, which is the inside world, the nourishing of the superhighway of life. So that's why your immune system is just super concentrated throughout this entire gastric tube, because it needs to be there to interact with the stuff that's there and what comes through, what doesn't. And this is why digestive health as we get older is a huge focus. And, and this is what I want to make a suggestion for the second meal of the day is in between your first meal of the day, you drink water and you drink like ideally water, coffee, herbal teas, whatever floats your boat. And, you know, on that front, but it just no sugary stuff, not too many artificial sweeteners seems to be the best recommendation I can do based on everything I've learned, seen and experienced, but you don't do, drink too much water right after you eat meals. Like we want to wait, I'd say a solid hour, hour and a half after you eat to really drink water. You drink water before meals. It sounds silly, but it's the truth. Like our body, once we eat food, meters out the proper amount of digestive enzymes that it needs based on the chemical environment presented to itself. So the pancreas's job is like, okay, we have this amount of fat. We're getting these sensors. We're going to release this amount of lipase, et cetera. And then what we do when we drink a shit ton of water is we dilute all of that chemistry that was perfectly created, which causes digestive problems. And when stuff doesn't digest well, it can start to ferment. There are different kinds of gut bacteria in there that can that can do stuff that when, when the process is not working right, we, there's problems. So as a minor, I'd say it's more of a major tip, but it's a, it's a minor implementation is, is try to drink, not, not drink water for an hour, after, an hour, hour and a half after your meals, especially after big meals. When it comes to lunchtime, I think it's, it's also important to have some kind of go-to with your nutrition but it doesn't necessarily have to be as regimented as the same exact superfood bowl every single morning, but it could be. 
oftentimes we tell people to make, you know, at least what works for our fit fathers from a simplicity standpoint is make one of three things. One could be a simple salad with some protein on it. I think it is a good idea to get well-tolerated fiber and green, fibrous green vegetables and stuff like this into the diet. You get fiber and you get protein. I think the cool thing about protein plus greens kind of concept for lunch is that you can get it anywhere. You could even go to Tokyo and Japan and probably be able to pull off that 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 combination of things. So there's a location independence to that, but that's very much one option. And I and I find that sometimes I even do I do that in the summer where it feels right. In the wintertime, having a big salad for a reason is not as appealing to me. Another thing that we have guys do is if they can tolerate wheat, we have them do some like Ezekiel bread sandwiches or sprouted bread sandwiches. Mm. Simple. A lot of guys grew up eating sandwiches. I don't know if you did, but I certainly totally. did. Like yeah. that's the thing, right? And and I think we currently have a war on wheat. And I think there's a good, there's many good reasons for why some of these discussions are being had. But I also know that there's a ton of people that can tolerate sprouted, organic, like well-prepared breads, like something like an Ezekiel bread, which is actually a biblical recipe, interestingly enough, but it's, it's, it's good. A lot of guys can tolerate. You toast that sucker up. You can make a healthy sandwich that is easy to pack, make, and, and is standardized. You know, turkey, avocado, you know, maybe it's a plant-based sandwich, whatever you want to do. Another thing that can work is using leftovers from the night's dinner before. And, and typically what we do for dinner, we recommend is you build something we call a perfect plate, where you fill half your plate with some kind of vegetable you love, like a non-starchy veggie. You know, it could be anything. Sometimes it's green, sometimes it's not. Broccoli, side salad, asparagus. It could be some like butternut squash or something like that. It could be carrots, like, I don't know, whatever. Vegetable half, protein quarter, healthy carbs quarter, or you can add more healthy fats if you're trying to do it more keto. But it's like, if you build plates that look like this, roughly speaking, you don't need to count your macros, or your calories, although you certainly can if that's the stuff you enjoy doing. And most of, most of those plates are well around 600 calories and paired with a healthy breakfast, healthy lunch, you know, you know, you don't, you can have a system that's feeding your body the right amount of fuel without necessarily need to exert lots of calculations and, and tracking of things. And for many guys, it seems to be the ticket. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely more down on that front. I'm not, I've never been like the calorie counting, tracking what's going in. I just, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't fit with my psychology. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm not interested in it, but some guys love that. You know, some guys yeah. are like all about that. Well, we're, we're almost up for time. So maybe if you can close us out with just some of the benefits of, of intermittent fasting versus yeah fasting. And I know that we're crunching it into like a couple minutes here. So maybe we'll have to have you back on to have a whole broad section, you know, specifically about that. Sure. Yeah. Talk fasting and wrap up fairly, fairly quickly here. Um, the, the simple premise that I'll lay out is our bodies are built to fast. You know, we've heard this statement a lot more these days and it's true, right? Where there's a, there's a feeding period and a fasting period. And as we want to build, like maintain a healthy body, we want enough building up and anabolism, which comes from feeding, from insulin, from strength training, from mTOR, these cellular signals. But we also want enough catabolism, which is the breaking down, the intentionally empty part where the body does a lot of amazing things. It basically starts to, to take out the cellular garbage, digest all denatured proteins, raises human growth hormones, stimulates new brain, new brain cells and neuronal growth, reduces inflammation, can help fight certain cancers. A three-day fast, which is a long one for sure by most people's standards, can completely reinvigorate the immune system. You get a turnover of all these old white blood cells. Stem cells start to get stimulated and produced. All this is scientifically proven. And I swear, if there was a pharmaceutical drug that could do all of the things that fasting can do for the body, it would be the best thing ever created, period. Mm. And there are many different ways to use fasting. It's not appropriate necessarily 
for everyone. Check and work with your doctor. I think at the very least, we start to do some slight daily intermittent fasting, which means having dinner earlier, shifting your first meal back a little bit later. Even if you're getting a 12, 14, 16 hour fasting, 12, 14, a little bit of extra fasting, especially by having food compressed a little bit more is good. It's giving you benefit. What we suggest with our program members is they also do, you know, regardless of if they like breakfast or if they intermittent fast every single day, is to do a dinner to dinner fast, a 24 hour fast one time per week. This is a very powerful habit. We have dinner tonight and we just drink water, teas, coffee if you want, but I think it's nice to lay off stimulants in a, in a big way when you're, when you're fasting for until dinner the next day. You're getting into a fairly deep fast. Your body's producing ketones during that period of time and you're getting a more deep fasting benefits than you would if you just did a 16, but it's all good. It's all additive. Then... There is a benefit also to doing like a three-day fast, a three or three or four-day water fast is, is gives you like there's re- this is where a lot of the research on maybe cancer benefits of fasting come in and doing those maybe once a quarter, you know, to start to make this more of a, a rhythm and a ritual. It's something that I would just encourage people to start playing around with. And I think you start small. You start mm-hmm. with just maybe pushing that first meal back a little bit, shifting the other one. And what actually happens in that process is your relationship to your hunger hormones and actually how frequently they spike, that stuff starts to change a little bit. And you're also building a metabolism that's metabolically flexible because sometimes it's burning carbohydrate that you're eating from foods. Sometimes it's burning fats and it's fairly fat adapted, could produce ketones because you are making some of those when you're fasting for sure. It's metabolically flexible body is a good body. Fasting is a very easy way to control calories. You can do it in so many different ways. And at the very least, start to compressing your eating window a little bit. Have dinner earlier, I'd say would probably be an easy thing for to people to start doing. Not easy necessarily emotionally and psychologically, but easy from a practical standpoint. And we'll end there because I know we're almost out of time, but we can definitely continue this. Yeah, no, phenomenal, man. I, I appreciate your your wisdom, your insight. I mean, it's been interesting in the in the alliance. Like we have a ton of men that have started on the on the fasting train, and they hold each other accountable. And it's a really it's it's really cool. It's just kind of like started organically within the group. But I mean, I've been doing it for years. You know, inter- intermittent fasting and and sort of like one off, you know, longer fast here and there. So I, I love it and my body seems to love it as well. So if people are wanting to learn more about you, learn more about the Fit Father Project, where do they go? Yeah, fitfatherproject.com. You can also Google Fit Father Project. You can search Fit Father Project on YouTube. Those would be the best places to connect with us. We have website, 500 plus videos. We have an awesome program that kind of lays all this stuff out and a community of guys who are all busy dads looking to get healthy together. And so it's a really cool, positive place. So fitfatherproject.com. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And for everybody that's out there tuning into this, don't forget to send this to somebody that you know is going to enjoy this conversation. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thank you.